And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, startup life, founder life, Amazon, marketplaces, uh, you name it. Today, we're going to be talking about keeping all your hats in order. And there's there's a little fun behind that one. And before I introduce today's guest, shout out to our sponsor, Fullscale.io. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Garth, welcome to the show. Thank you, buddy. Glad yeah, to be here, so, man. Thank you. I was really just thinking about, um, you know, some guests this year for the summer. And um, I really just wanted to go through uh, some people that I know, people I'm working with, people we're working with, um, and get a chance to shine uh, a little light on some of the stories, some of the brands we're working with, as much as we can talk about um, American hat makers. Uh, you know, uh, I think the, the podcast is a lot about people that run it, people that founded it, people that have built it. So um, I would love to just get into your story a little bit mm-hmm. and then uh, talk about American hat makers and, and, and why we're here. So first of all, um, where, where are you located? Uh, Northern California, up in Monterey Bay, in between Santa Cruz and Monterey in a little town called Watsonville. Okay, Watsonville. I've never been there, but um, I've just started getting to California a few times, so I'll have to... Get it's where your artichokes and garlic and strawberries and things of that nature come from. So you probably eat uh, food coming from our area, but it's uh, very much agriculture. Obviously, uh, Monterey Bay with the uh, coastline is is gorgeous. So it's more Pebble Beach and such is known for. So, well, for anyone that can't, that's not watching the visual or the video, uh, Garth is set up. He has a, a dope office. He's got a big American flag behind him. He's wearing an American hat uh, and he's got hats on on the back wall on these displays. Um, just a really cool company. We've been working with American hat makers a couple of years and often I honestly don't get uh, that many guests on the show that I get to work with. So it's kind of fun to just highlight, uh, you know, one of the brands that we're that we're working with. Garth, talk to me, um, but before we get into American Hatmakers, talk to me about Garth, um, you know, in the early days, did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur, a business owner? Mm. Um, Did you go to school for business? Uh, Where's your story start? Yeah, I think from day one, I was, uh, (laughs) I don't want to say I was unemployable, but I definitely challenged authority. Um, You know, one of my caught early endeavors um i i spent a lot of time on the golf course okay and uh i was collecting golf balls long before i was really even playing uh there was a course uh up in santa cruz up in the mountains in santa cruz and had a lot of ravines on it and we would go up on the weekends and collect golf balls and then literally sell them right there on the golf course 
And I just knew, like, I didn't really understand what an entrepreneur was at that point. Obviously, I was, you know, I don't know, 9, 10, 11. But I clearly knew that I was at home and that process felt right. Um, and so, you know, fast forward, I was a shitty student, let's be honest, like sitting in a chair, you know, being talked at for eight hours a day. Um, it didn't really work for me. Now, I, I was blessed early on um, with the gift of gab and, and being able to communicate verbally that I was able to kind of skirt the rules and more or less do anything I want, um, you know, somewhat entitled, or at least I felt I was. And were you in school in Northern California? Northern California, in Santa Cruz County, SoCal. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I missed a lot of days. I think most kids, in theory, probably would have been expelled. Um, but, you know, I had a, I had a saying, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm proud of it today, but it was sure accurate that, like, you put a polo shirt on and, like, you can kind of get away with anything. And like, at the end of the day, it was kind of my life. And like, so I would wake up at like eight or nine, maybe 10. I would roll into school, um, high school, we're talking now and walk on campus, meet up with a couple buddies, walk off campus, smoke a big doobie, literally walk back on campus, go to one class. And then I was off to the golf course to hang out and play golf for the rest of the day. So it wasn't surfing. It was golf. That was your. So nemesis. surfing was a little earlier on was like in middle school. Um, but I kind of figured out pretty, pretty early on that like the, the bum surf life wasn't that attractive for me. I like liked a little bit more, you know, a great story. I was walking to the golf course at 14 and one of the guys I play golf with rolls up in one of those red magnum pi uh ferraris if, if, if you know the show and he pulls over and he picks me up and he drives me to the golf course i was i think i was 14 and i just went oh i'm into this shit i right? want this yeah, yeah I, want I want this, this right this this makes sense again this is like how i see myself obviously at 14 i had no concept of really what that meant or what it would take um but i could connect with that journey and and so golf resonated it's going to be you know throughout this podcast and throughout my life it, there's golfs intertwined in it it made sense from a business from a competitive i got to drink a bunch on the golf course and gamble a shit ton right um hang out with people that were making millions and millions of dollars at a very mm -hmm. very early age and they loved to gamble and and to be honest i was better than a lot of them at 15 16 years old so financially I could compete with them and, and I didn't really have a lot of fear around money. So we would bet hundreds of dollars with these Silicon, you know, Northern California. So these guys were all Silicon uh, entrepreneurs over the hill and, and driving their seven series Beamers or, or Ferraris in that case. And, and we got to get down and I got to listen to their business conversations, but I also got to like talk, talk trash and, and compete against them uh, mono. That's uh, a big mono, deal. Mono. That's a big deal. Like if, if you, I definitely didn't have that growing up, like, you know, I have a different story myself. Um, but I wasn't really surrounded by businessmen or women, um, in that regard, you know, I was around educators, I was around different things like that. Um, but it was like, I do believe that like having a vision for that can, can really create something and just osmosis. Like, you know, you're around them, you're hearing them talk, you're hearing what drives them. You're like, you're looking up to them, maybe respecting them and being like, this is the things they're talking about and doing. Um, okay. So from 14, 15, 
you know, I graduated at 17 because I was just Africa and he, I don't know, my timelines are off with yeah. in regards to normal grade school, but um, high school comes and goes and where do you go from there? Yeah. So right on par, I think I had just turned 18, like maybe two weeks before I graduated. Um, you know, more or less, I was a fuck up. Like I, you know, I wasn't getting into any real school, really had no real, I, I knew I wanted to play golf. I wanted a golf scholarship. That was clearly my goal, but I barely got through high school. Uh, I went to community college, but really kind of made some strategic decisions of like, so no alcohol, no marijuana, like really focused for four months, played golf, took 19 units and got myself noticed and ended up going to San Diego State on a golf scholarship. You said took 19 units? 19 units, yeah, community college, got 3.3, which mind you, I graduated high school at a 2.1 um, and really just made a decision that I wanted to get out of here, um, uh, get down to Southern California, or just get somewhere that I could into a much more metropolitan location. I always saw myself in New York, but the reality was San Diego was cool and getting down there to play some golf was uh, a dream. Um, again, and what was your family? Like, I don't think you've laid this out. Like what, what, what were your parents? Were they into business? Were they entrepreneurs? Um, yeah. So just to back up a little bit on the story of American hat makers, my father started this company in 1972. So he's actually the founder, not me. Okay. Um, I, I've been blessed, uh, with, with not only his genes, but, but, uh, a great role model in my father, Gary to, to ultimately evolve and take this company to the next level. Um, but my father and my mother were both entrepreneurs, uh, self-employed, um, very, very, in a way, small-minded in the mindset of how to keep a company alive and, and thriving, but never really excelling. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that the small business mindset allows you to really prosper in your own little domain, but really also inhibits you from growth major growth right and and you know it because you, you're in that conversation i'm sure daily i'm in it now at the highest level of like how do i work on the company not in the company so i watched my parents really thrive in their little element but also really get hindered by how do you move to the next level how to hire the right people how to delegate how to not micromanage how to manage cash differently how to look at profit not cash flow because that's a huge different conversation and but anyway, so yeah, my, my roots, I watched my dad full on work 70 hours a week for 40 years, let's say. He's still here today. He's in the office next door. You know, he's, he's active. He, he loves the, the entrepreneurship, the business side of things. He's, he's actually more techie than I am, helps with finances and such. But, um, but now he's free to kind of come and go as he pleases. The yeah. responsibilities don't fall on him. Um, as much at least. Um, but yeah, I, I really kind of born in that. But I always saw myself from a really early age, like I was going to be a billionaire. And like, Blam. I, so like dad, dad had this business or mom and dad had this business, but they were working hard, 70 hard. hour weeks, like they weren't driving the, you know, the, the, the cars, no, right? They weren't was, golfing during no the middle of the day. In our driveway. Yeah. No one's golfing in the middle of the day on a Tuesday, you know, it's work, 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 work. Yes. So maybe like work for myself, maybe business, but like didn't see it happening this way and in, in that way and at, at that time. 
Great, yeah, great call out. And I think that like always saw more, always saw bigger business. You know what I mean? So, so I think for me, didn't again like so funny because you look back and you have no idea like what this actually means or what this is going to entail to get there and the work I'm going to need to do. Um, but at the end of the day, I always saw bigger goals. I, you know, I always kind of almost in a in a weird way just saw myself there, even though I, I didn't have a pot to piss in, let's Visualize be honest, it, yeah. but still like put on the polo shirt and show up at the golf course, you know, uh, you know, for all you golfers out there, like I'm sure you've heard the story about Chi Chi Rodriguez, like playing hundred dollar Nassau's with 20 bucks in his pocket. Like some while that was kind of my life where, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm part of, and I, I feel like I belong, even though the truth is I was probably some sort of a fraud or, or pretender, but the reality in my mind, I had arrived and, and, but arrived. And now I think I'm arriving because I don't know that you ever actually arrive today. It's just a shit ton of hard work and, and dedication to my craft and ultimately getting to prosper on some of my hard work, but nowhere near ultimate goal to even today. But I think coming up on 50, really trying to, and then we can get into some theor- the, uh, theological discussions is where I'm at today. I'm going to be 50 here next couple of years. It's like, this is what I'm working on. We get a little deep on this, Andrew, is, is the drive for success has been completely counterintuitive for fulfillment. And so as I've driven for success and monetary gain, it's taken me farther and farther away from fulfillment and purpose. And I think coming up on 50 now and watching people dying of cancer and all this shit, right? That you start to go, well, wait a sec, what's this all about, right? Like another hundred grand in the bank or another another good customer. Is there really, is it changing my life today? Like that's debatable. So I've got a new son and starting to contemplate what fulfillment and what purpose looks like. And then ultimately giving a little bit of less effort for success and more effort for fulfillment, uh, which can, which can, in my opinion, if you get that recipe right, can can drive both. Um, like as I chase more of the things that actually fulfill me, then I'm a better version of myself, which allows me to do better work. Right, and in, in my mind, like it gets brings out the best in me. The best in me does the best work in in a less amount of time, in, in that way, you know. Um, but I, I think we jumped around a little bit, and I want to go back to when you were pushing to move to San Diego. Yes. So, San Diego. So basically 19, got out of community college, went to San Diego State, became a full-time golfer, uh, you know, did some classes on the side. Um, you know, I was a grinder. I was never the most talented, but I was definitely the, the hardest for the most part. I was the guy that wanted to win at all costs. Uh, and so I was able to compete even with a lot less talent than some, mm. um, and Relatable. that's again, kind of my life story, like just figured out how to win. I, you know, I wanted everything I ever did. Um, and you know, the, the, you know, we don't talk a lot about this, I think as a society, but as an NCAA athlete, like you have four years of eligibility and when that eligibility is up, regardless if you're through school or not, like you're kind of done, right? Mentally you're done. Now you got to motivate. I had another year, year and a half of, of credits needed to graduate. Didn't have any momentum or any any sort of um, 
real desire to continue school, found myself kind of confused and the alcohol thing came back up and found myself, ended up bartending downtown San Diego in the gas lamp and um, found myself kind of lost in the journey. Um, everything had kind of come easy. Now I had no purpose again, back to that purpose uh, conversation and ended up becoming really a professional drunk for a good five years and, and leaned into it um, at the highest level. I was again, great at it. Um, not a lot of consequences. Um, until I was about 28 and it was becoming really, really evident that like that wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. And if I wanted to live and, and prosper and, and have a nice life, I was going to have to give up the, the alcohol and the, the, uh, ultimate, uh, substance abuse and, um, asked for some help. It's probably my first time at 28 where I reached my hand up and, uh, and asked for a little help. Um, really didn't know what that meant again, where I was, where was I going with that or what kind of help I was going to get. But I'll, I'll tell you, I've never had a drink since. Um, I just celebrated 19 years the other day. Congratulations. Um, thanks, buddy. Um, just huge. Really like, again, I like beautiful wife, beautiful kids. Um, you know, I had the white picket fence and I sold that because the truth was that came with a lot of work. So like, I, you know what I mean? Done, done it, doing it, did it. Like, um, but that's all recovery. That's that's sobriety that's given me the, the ability to make these choices today. But San Diego was beautiful. I think like one of the most amazing cities on earth. So I, really a special time for me, I think, overall. But I think it was also very like, what, you know, chasing this beach life and this laid back and just not me. Yeah. So really, like, I, I'm driven. I, I love the, the art of competing. And, and so finding that, what does that mean to me? How do I compete differently today? You know, I play very, very little golf today. I'm still fairly good, but I just don't play a lot with my grind with the work and the family. But I think at the end of the day, like having that golf history and, and knowing that I can compete at the highest level and basically anything I do and now trying to apply those same principles to business is, is really the challenge today. I think business is the ultimate competition and I'm someone that's, that's one at most things that I've ever done. I, I failed at a marriage uh, you know, at 25, I hit my low and probably reached out for help somewhere around there, 25, 26, you know, just looking for purpose. And, you know, Martinology is something that came out of that almost 11 years ago. Martinology, mm -hmm. you know, I've been doing this 12 years now. Um, so I can relate to that. And for me, even in business, even when I've hit success, hasn't even been failures, but even when I've hit success metrics, like that purpose thing or that goal or that focus can be gone. You've accomplished it. You checked off the box. You did the thing. Um, and, you know, it can even be winning. It's not even, it doesn't have to be that you're losing, but if you lose sight of that, if you haven't changed your goal or goal's not high enough or you haven't moved it or adjusted it or um, those have been some of my lowest moments in business is honestly when I've accomplished something I was working hard toward accomplishing and then I accomplish it. And then I'm like, well, now what, you know? And, um, so something, something very relatable there. And I was chasing music for a long time. So mm -hmm. for me, it was, uh, wasn't the beach life. I'm here in the Midwest. Uh, but I grew up in Africa and then started college in Hawaii and these things like that. Um, and it was music. I was all in on music. I traveled for four and a half years touring, um, just got tired of being broke and the lifestyle around it, yeah. the people you're around kind of, uh, it's tough. It's really tough to just be positive and take care of anybody else and be like, you know, have financial security and financial freedom. 
And so I shifted and I had been in school for a computer science degree for six to me six years, I think, to get a four year degree because I was just taking my time and, and touring yeah. and stuff. It only took me 10. So don't feel bad, Andrew. OK, OK. Yeah. So there we go. So, um, but, you know, and then I went to uh, networking and security, used my degree, didn't love networking and security. I was good at it. Uh, got a couple of promotions at my first company and just said, if this is like IT, I'm out. And so made a big move into e-commerce and I won't spend the rest of the time, the time yeah. on my story, but yeah. it was this evolution of, um, you know, what's for me, what's for me, what makes me feel fulfilled? Well, I can tell you getting paid really well to sit on my butt for 12 hours and look at a screen is not what fulfills me, you know? Uh, so I learned that pretty quick. And so, it, you know, working with brands, helping people tell their story, being good at it, getting profitable. Um, I think business uh, to just to bring it back full circle, like to me as someone that's, I love board games, basketball, I'm in leagues, volleyball leagues. I love all this stuff. Business is the ultimate competition for me, especially like entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship and business are not exactly the same, but entrepreneurship around having to level yourself up to continue to compete at the highest level with the best and be the best um, is something that's never ending. It's like, it's constantly there. Um, okay. So back to your story, you talked about, you know, um, being in San Diego, looking back at that time, you know, finding sobriety during that time. Um, and when did like, you know, when does American hat come into the picture? Is there something before that? Like at what point? Yeah. So when I was 15, well, I mean, I can back up even more like eight, nine, 10, I started going on the road with dad, you know, I'd go do the shows with him. Now, mind you, I'd kind of run around in the parks and um, we did a lot of festivals. We did a hundred plus festivals a year for God, decades and decades. And so I'd kind of run around loose and do whatever. And, you know, obviously my dad moved to, to Santa Cruz because he was a hippie and free spirit. Like, so that's how we were raised somewhat. And I uh, very loose parenting. Um, uh, I think great genes, but the reality is I didn't have a lot of supervision um, and kind of had an older brother and we were up to no good a lot of days. Um, so I got, got to grow up fast, let's be honest. So when I was 15, I did my first show first festival by myself and I paid my brother to drive me. Turns out the guy's pretty worthless uh, at at least doing shows. He's, he's an engineer. He's making shit for NASA and shit now, but at doing festivals and selling hats, the guy sucked. Let's be straight. And uh, so I fired him shortly after I became 16, got a driver's license and I was off and running, man. I loved it. I got to travel the country. I was, you know, shit. It was, you know, telling people these stories now because nobody believes it. Because now, nowadays, I don't know, we let our kids run loose like this. But I was 16 years old, driving 10 hours to Vegas one way to set up a show for three days, stay in a casino. Now, mind you, back then, they didn't really card. So I'm playing poker, drinking Coronas at 16 years old in Vegas, right? It's hard to fathom that today. But that was like my lifestyle. And I didn't know any different. Like that was just what I did. Um, and so I I very much got a nice run. There was about a three-year run of selling hats there from 16 to 19. Hats slowed down three times in our life. Um, you, can, you Most of us know this, uh, 1980, um, big, big cowboy movie. Uh, in the nineties, Garth Brooks was entertainer of the year, I think two years in a row, big, big hat movement. And then of course, Yellowstone in the last 12 to 18 months, just boom. So 
it was kind of these three events in the 80s, 90s, and, and now 2020s. But so that three-year run from 16 to 19 really kind of slowed. Um, that was when I ended up in San Diego, played golf, kind of took a hiatus, did a couple shows here and there, but really focused on school, golf. Um, fast forward, now I'm 30 years old, completely sober. Again, don't really have a pot to piss in. <laughs> I got my polo shirt. I got my baseball card collection, my CD collection. Uh, I still own a car, but that's about it. And uh, I came back. I asked dad, right, if I can move in. Mind you, I'm 30 years old. I got a bunch of debt. You know, true story. I'm, I filed bankruptcy at 30. I've got 50K in student loans. Um, I'm sleeping on my parents' futon in their guest office. And really, at the end of the day, just really didn't have a lot going, but I was in such a good mental space that I was ready to rock. Yeah. And my dad gave me a broom. And I think it was eight, 10 bucks an hour, 30 years old, college degree. And I'm like, I started at the bottom, man. Again, like, couldn't complain either, man. Felt a little bit of gratitude, to be honest, man. First time in my life, I had a little little gratitude and a little humility. Probably at 30, I still didn't really know what those words meant, but I had some of that. Um, and slowly but surely, you know, I started to put in the work. Still was trying to make the golf career at work, but you hit it on the head, man. I don't want to be a broke golfer. Like, no, thank you. Uh, mm. You know, I, I liked the finer things of life and I wanted a family and some of these other stuff. And so... I finally gave that up at maybe 31, 32 and really focused on my career and, and putting in the time at the hat company. And at that point, you know, really needing to grow the hat company to basically feed two families. And it became pretty evident. My father like made some comments like, if you want more, you got to go get it. And I was like, well, you know, what does that mean? Like, he was like, well, what do you want me to do? Give you mine? Like I, I worked for 40 years. This is mine. And I was like, okay, game on, right? Like, let's go. And, uh, and just became more and more active. I've, I've been uh, blessed with an opportunity to, to buy a bunch of the shares here at the company and become majority owner. Um, but I, I was the kind of guy that always would have two or three side hustles going as well. And uh, one, one of the best ones that performed, I had a real estate uh, passion for real estate. And we, we, my wife and I, I think we're on 11 or 12 homes in 12 years and amazing. And, and that was the weekend hustle, man, the rehabs and the, and the flips and, and rentals and um, really just grinded out a secondary income, which probably in fairness, looking back, made more money than the primary income, but really being able to subsidize our, you know, cause at the end of the day, hats, small margin, American made, it was tough. It was a grind. It wasn't some big payday. There wasn't some huge windfall. But the real estate supplemented so much about the income that enabled me to like give focus 100% on that on the hat company. So um, mid 30s, really just dedicated to my craft. Were you married? Uh, so like were, you, you talk about your wife now. Yeah. Um, when when did she come into the picture? So God, so I was, uh, be, we've been together about 18. Uh, so, uh, shortly after I got sober, met her in the program, like true story. <laughs> like we met at a, a 12 step dance, um, and, and hit it off, man. We had we similar, similar kind of mindset. Like we wanted a better life. 
we clearly knew we didn't want to get loaded. We clearly knew that like there was more to provide, you know, um, you know, she was, she, <laughs> I love this, pulling her covers a little bit. Don't tell anyone I pulled her covers, but she was like full Jesus thumping at the point. Like it was great. And I, and I had nothing against Jesus. It was, it was awesome to see the passion and uh, the connection she had. So she was very spiritual. I clearly needed some spirit in my life because I, I was, <laughs> I was a little, a little lost, let's say. Um, and she had two beautiful daughters at that time. She, she I knew I wanted a kid, but I was in no hurry. Um, so again, you know, hit it off. It took us about five years to get married. Um, God, I don't know how long this podcast is, but no, I'm just, I'm just thinking about, you know, you guys have done 12, 12 houses in 12 years or 12 rentals or investment properties in 12 years or 12 flips. Um, you know, that's a lot of work as a team. Like, you know, it doesn't get done by itself. Um, and just curious, like, uh, at what point it became a a we instead of like, you know, you trying to figure that out and, um, Mm. you know, well, I was tough. I mean, I kind of said to her, like, why we didn't get married earlier was I was like, there's no free rides. Like, you're not coming on this journey, hanging out. I don't need some, what do they call them? Trophy wife and all that bullshit. Like you got to put up and do the work with me. And, um, and so that was one of my biggest, and she wanted that. She maybe didn't quite know what that looked like or what that meant. I think early on, um, you know, and she, she could tell her, you know, her story in some ways probably better than even mine, but she, you know, she was at a crossroad in her own life of like, there, there was some subsidies happening and, you know, um, two, two kids, uh, single mom, it was, it was tough. And, and, and I said, that's a great story. Don't give a shit. Like, let's go. If you want to come on this journey, uh, I want to do some shit in life. And that implies that you, you come with me and do the work with me. And, um, thank God I picked the right one that she was able to like step up and do that, you know, but, but I was very adamant that it was a mandatory we, because I didn't want, you know, I mean, it very much like always dated and then ultimately married my best friend that like, I want my partner to be connected and on the journey. I'm not really like, don't really want to go home at 10 o'clock at night. Cause I just worked a 14 That's to, when you see her. to tell her what I did today. Like, no, you know, for all you men out there, you guys know that at eight o'clock at night, like, I don't want to process shit. I want to flip on the TV. And if that's the only time I'm going to see my wife, how healthy, how healthy is that marriage going to be? Mm-hmm. And so we've been able to find connection throughout the day. She handles a lot of the marketing and branding here at the company. Now, I'm not suggesting work with your wife either. That's not an easy proposition. But I think for us specifically, we wanted more in a relationship and we were willing to like put through kind of put in not only the effort, but, but accept the pain of the discomfort of working together and not agreeing. Cause let's be honest, working with your wives in most cases is not easy, but I'll tell you it's worth all of it because the connection we have is, is amazing. Yeah. And I feel like, um, I can relate in a way in regards to just like my family has been my purpose and focus and why, and, yes. um, you know, I've built this company with my family, um, and there are some cons to working with family, uh, but I think that the pros <laughs> way outweigh that, you know, and just regards yeah. to like, we're, we have the same, we're on the same mission, trying to do the same thing for each other. 
So why not do it in the same building, you know, versus like all three of us doing it our own ways, like let's combine efforts. And um, I know that I don't believe that people that were non-family would have stuck with me through some of the hard times in the business, like, you know, versus uh, when they're there with you doing it, you also have a lot of respect for them versus like, hey, I gave you a position in my company here, work, do the branding. That's not the same thing, you know, or do the marketing. It's not the same thing as like going through the journey together, I think. Um, So no, that's cool. I just wanted to kind of know where where that fit. And I know that someone that's like, uh, whenever you're, okay, you're back at home, you know, at 30, you're on the, the futon, you're like, you know, sweeping, using a broom, you worked yeah. your way up at, at your dad's company, you know, at one point, you're doing sales at 16. So it kind of seems like definitely a step back in regards sure. to like running festivals to, to that. And then, you know, if you're 50 now, that's 20 years, right at the company. Um, and just like the mental for me, um the mental fortitude to just like go in day in and day out and stay focused on what that is like to the point where i said i achieved some things and then i would be lost again and having to figure that out how like for very competitive people that maybe have adhd that like you know like to win a lot of different things i do i like you know if i'm gonna go fishing i'm gonna be the best fisherman that i can be if i'm gonna go play ball i'm gonna be the best baller i can Uh, that's just how i do almost everything um in business it can be it's a whole different thing. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about like, you know, the title is called keeping your um, your hats in order. Right. Yeah. And um, for you, since we've talked about just like, you know, uh, the the details behind your story up till up till 30, 32. Um, how did you stay focused? Like, you know, at the company, was it continuing like your dad's like, hey, I need you to carve out your own your own space here? Was it like, into the business aspects? Like, was it increasing wholesale was it like the start of e-commerce was it like doing less festivals um you guys were already doing a lot seemed like you know for for a long time yeah what was kind of your avenue to that well i think for me personally like you know you described it i got adhd i I like to win i love to be challenged and most of all i love change and i think early on in my career i would change to change because that was my personality i felt comfortable in change Today, I try to change methodically because it is taxing on your team. Yes. And so, like, I've really had to figure out that I wear my team out when just to change. So, you know, today I'm like very much more analytical. I like, oh, you want to change? Like, I, you know, the department heads, if it's, you know, usually it's the tech side. My, my guy, my, uh, my boy Ori's in, in the next office. Man, like I wore that dude out for a couple of years that we and him just would change uh, like we were changing our undies and uh, on the tech and the e-com side. And today we're like way more methodical. We, we were just looking at a, a filter and search app for our Shopify store deep into negotiation. And, and to be honest, we just had this like kind of epiphany this morning of like, do we even need it? All the metrics say we don't. And to sign up for, for another thousand dollar a month SaaS fee when the truth is the metrics don't even tell us we need it. It was just a fascinating, like, again, what are we doing? So anyway, that's real life today, you know, for all, for all you guys running e-com out there, like, you know, that SAS is a bitch <laughs> that fucking, like it never stops. Right. It doesn't everybody go away, wants yeah. to raise their prices. They're all now going off sessions and bullshit. <laughs> anyway, I'm around a little bit of right now on SAS fees. Because goddamn it bleeds the company dry. But anyway, that's just where we're at this today, literally this discussion. But 
let me back up. So COVID happened. Let's just talk a little bit about COVID. So, you know, I killed all the festivals. I got the company off the road and basically said, dad kind of retired, uncle retired from the road. I basically said, look, I'm not gonna be able to run this company and take it to the next level if I'm on the road. So let's just get off the road. That was tough because that created a shit ton of cash flow and not a lot of profit. But again, I had touched earlier on in this, this uh, podcast, really understanding cash flow and separating it from profit is huge. And I think if you want to make it from a small business to an actual standalone business, you're going to have to separate those two things. 100%. Uh, and that was the real, you know, my mentors were very much like analyze the company from the P&L, not from the bank account. And if I can tell anybody you want to take your company to the next level, you're going to have to separate your bank account from the way you run your company. Not saying it's not important. I'm just not suggesting you 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 take an absentee mindset of cash flow. But if you make your decisions off your profit off your bank account, you're probably not going to be very profitable. So mm-hmm. that being said, I transitioned literally love the finances, love the metrics, love the analytics, right? I'm I'm surely not the best, but I'm very gut oriented. I've been in this business so long, I can make the analytics make sense. Um, so COVID came, we had been basically, we we're off the road. So thank God that wasn't an issue. But the phone stopped, wholesale stopped, like we, we were dead in the water. We, we had a basically a run rate of about six weeks. And we were going to be through the line and empty every bank account. If we continued to leave it wide open, so we had to make a decision. We're we going to run it wide open for six weeks and close the door. Or are we going to like pull the ripcord here really, really quickly? This was long before PPP or ERC and all that bullshit that that was coming down the pipe that none of us knew. And we had a, an executive meeting in here in my office on a Saturday and proceeded to lay off 29 out of 30 people um, and held onto our cash as tight as we could there. Uh, some people volunteered. I had... Um, top two guys still worked for free. Um, and we lived this thing along, uh, you know, I, I didn't take any days off. Um, and, uh, we just kept our head down. PPP popped and all of a sudden got some money. And, and in that conversation, in that six week time before the PPP got there, we've kind of decided, do we want to lean into e-commerce? And we, and my dad built a website back in the nineties. So, it wasn't that we weren't in e-commerce. It was that we didn't do internet marketing. And I think like for, for a lot of the startup kind of concepts, I didn't truly understand the difference. Mm-hmm. That there's a distinct difference. This isn't, you know, field of dreams. If I build it, they will come. Well, that's a bunch of bullshit. So if you've got that business model, amen. But that didn't really grow our e-com. Now we did enough shows and we were in enough accounts that somewhere between 16 and 18% of our gross revenue was from our website with zero internet marketing. So I'm not suggesting that you can't do some internet business without internet marketing. You're just capturing the sale there. Yeah, you're just capturing sales there. You're not actually going out there and hunting, so to speak, or bringing people in or running signs or. And so the, the real decision we had to make was, is that 18% of our business and wholesale being more or less turned off with the phone stopped ringing, we weren't going to be able to keep our company alive, right? 18% of our revenue wasn't going to be able to fund this overhead. And so basically I had to kind of like, what are we going to do? Well, we decided really pretty quickly, it wasn't a very hard decision. Like let's lean into internet marketing. Again, didn't know what that meant. Didn't really understand what a marketing company was. Because that's what the decision I actually made that day was to become a marketing company. 
not yeah. a hat company, not a manufacturing company, but a marketing company. And I think that it's taken me now three years to start wrapping my head around that and building out a marketing department because our old marketing department was two people. Yeah. But you want to do 20 or $30 million in, in i.e. a marketing company, you're going to need more than two people in that department. Um, and so I learned internet marketing, man. I spent the last two, well, now three years of my life learning internet marketing and really understanding metrics, human behavior. I, I wouldn't even say I'm good at it. I said, I put three years in. I don't know. I'm at my 10,000 hours. I'll tell you that. But I ain't even good at it, right? I, I, I'm holding down the fort. I learned, you know, Triple Well saved my life. I'll just shout out to Triple Well. Like, you know, I, I shit, we were spending 100 a month on, on Facebook. You know, we spend, I don't know, 18K a month now. Like, it's life-saving, you know. Couldn't figure out where all the money went. Well, fuck, it was in Facebook's pocket, right? So, mm -hmm. You know, like that old saying that that 50 percent of your marketing is working. You just didn't know which 50 percent. Well, I found out it wasn't Facebook. <laughs> so customer acquisition, man, is is a real thing. Got to learn what that is. Um, and you better know what that costs you to acquire a customer. It's going to be very hard to be profitable in e-commerce. Um, but long story short, uh, e-com became 80 percent of our business. Uh, in two years, uh, up from age 16, 18, and now it's going to end up at 60, I think this year, probably 50. That's wholesale's coming back. Yeah, like wholesale's I coming back. And and that was kind of shame on me. Wholesale could have come back a lot quicker. I, I fell asleep on it. I, I focused on e-com, small team, lost focus on wholesale. I think wholesale popped back a lot quicker than I really was aware of. Or wholesale you, might, team you might not be where you are uh in e-com in e-com if you hadn't spent three years focused on that if you had Amen. been 50 50 or whatever you might not be where you're at so um i don't know if i would say like shame on you for that and you know like let wholesale get its legs back you know um i deal with businesses trying to figure out both all the time and it's not the easiest thing to do and and the third prong is amazon right and you know and thank god for you guys but amazon's brutal right they're the elephant in the room i mean you know they'll, they'll abuse you and then abuse you some more i mean it, it is fascinating the the amount of abuse we'll accept right so you know that's the three-headed monster shopify amazon and wholesale and you know we're you know and we're a manufacturer and a sourcer you know so you know i think you know, I don't know how long we got here, but I'll talk a little bit about team because I think that wrap it all back together that the biggest passion and I know you're you're in on this because I had these conversations with you early on when I talked about bringing you on as a partner or you bringing me on as a partner. But we what is your team? And I think that what does culture mean to you? And ultimately, how are you building an organization from the inside out? You know, do they want to be here? Do they like being here? How do they treat your customers? How do they treat your vendors? Like your team is you. And I think yep. that, you know, when my father said I needed to go get mine and, and ultimately create more if I wanted mine, it, the kind of that the team concept started then. Again, I didn't know what I was doing then. And I put some people in place that clearly weren't leaders. I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made is I've taken my best worker and I've made them the leader. And I'll tell you that that is horrible. Uh, I also didn't understand how fast I needed a fire. That was another really, really big lesson that I need a fire fast. 30 to 60 days, fire. Like, you know in your gut if they're good or not, fire mm -hmm. them. Do them a favor, 
and do yourself a favor and all your team a favor and fire them. Like that was another huge, huge lessons that I had to learn. But today, like we have an amazing culture. I think as you do, like we hire, well, let me, let me rephrase that. My mentor said it so beautifully, nobody's good at hiring. So learn how to fire. And I don't give a shit who you are. Maybe there's some HR people that would disagree with me. I don't know, but I'm not that good at it. And I, you know, fit matters to me and mediocrity matters to me that if the, if the person, the individual isn't right, do them a favor and ask them to leave politely. Mm. Uh, and you will have a culture and you have an organization that will literally like climb mountains for you. And the team will respect that. Yes. You know, when, when, when you're, they think that you're dialed in, you're paying enough attention to notice who's doing great work and who's not, and who's, you know, accepting mediocrity and who's not um because you know those people are not no they're not going to snitch they don't say things like that in my opinion like they're yep. not going to be the ones that just throw them under the bus but if you have the ability to notice that and call it out and, and remove that from the team i've been going through a period of that a, a little bit just sometimes life sometimes people getting poached sometimes us letting people go a little mixture of all three um but it is about getting the team right you know and and better to do it with you know, not having 50 that are half in, I'd rather have 10 that are all in yeah. and, you know, and see what you can get done. And, um, and, you know, I touched on that a little bit yesterday. I just hired a president, man. I, I went all in. I okay. tell you, like one of my mentors said, like, you better hire up. If you really want to like change your company, if you really want to grow, you need to hire somebody above you. What does that mean, right? How uncomfortable are you willing to get? Like, and and I'll and I'll tell you, I just did it, man. It was my first hire that was literally straight above me, uh, and just incredible, man. And like, he's third weekend, and like, I'm stoked, right? I'm not I'm not measuring how much the, it costs. I'm measuring like how much he can contribute. And um, maybe I'm in a comfortable place today. Maybe I'm just tired. I don't know. <laughs> but I'll tell you, like, I am stoked bringing in these level of people to be able to have these conversations with we're not talking about adding thousands of dollars of revenue we're not talking about adding millions of dollars worth of revenue the conversations just change when you start leveling up um but it all starts with your hiring are you willing to get uncomfortable and hire up so i love that and, and I, just to add to it like one thing i've been doing um because I wouldn't say I've got a CEO ahead of me or, or even some of my other C-suite team. Um, but we have very much gone in heavy on coaches and, um, you know, I've got three, I think, uh, you know, my sisters have two between them. Um, so five, the leadership has five coaches right now in different areas where we're just bringing in people that know more than us, um, to essentially like help us get there. Uh, and whether that's a permanent spot or a fractional spot, I don't think it so matter. It matters as much as just getting the right people in the right spot that can that can help you there. Um, we're running out on time, and you know, uh, before we get before we get to the end, I would love I like to end the show with just a couple of questions. Like, one, what's you know, and you might have already mentioned this, but what's one thing you're doing in your business? You know, we're we're in July, we got another six months of the year. Um, I guess five now right uh but like you know what's one thing you're working on in the business that you're excited about something new and then something in your personal life that you're doing this year or, or coming up that you're excited about um one from the business one from yourself that'd be helpful well i think the business i, I mean i just kind of alluded to that is building a team man and 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 really like evolving this facility 
an organization to be the leader. Uh, we we <laughs> call it crazy, man. Like I, you know, we touched on this in so many different ways. But I went into COVID doing basically almost little to no internet marketing. I'm the leader in the whole industry now. Like I'm the guy, right? And I don't even I didn't even know it, right? I'm like I just kept my head down. But now I look around. Love SEM Rush and Ahrefs, and like I'm deep into these numbers now, knowing that like the only one above us is Stetson, and the reality is, is that you know half of their terms are branded. So you know, outside of that, like we are crushing. But you know, not really knowing it, just putting my head down and doing the work. Like we have an you know a director of SEO. Like I'm all in uh, on ultimately long term organic. Um, just a shout out to to organic. It's the non sexy part of marketing, but I'll tell you, if you want to be profitable, man, you better get organic. Paid is only getting more expensive. Customer acquisitions only getting more expensive. Um, so really, just I think honing in customer journey um, and then ultimately conversion. I think we spent the first two years acquiring eyeballs, but not really focused on conversion. And I think if you want to be profitable in the ecom game, you've got to understand conversion and and the littlest tweaks, you know, hundreds of a point to tenths of a point start to matter. I can and, tell you, you know, 100% as a case on Amazon, you know, it just volume game in regards to you make 1% difference across 100,000 whatevers. It's a big difference. Uh, staggering. And I think that, you know, and a lot of conversion guys jump on with their calculators and talk about hundreds of millions of dollars. If you just do this, well, that's cool, but that's not actually doing it right. And so understanding conversion, um, having some players, you know, I really run our organization and our marketing team from a democracy standpoint, which allows probably a little bit more noise than needed, but it also allows some really, really good conversations around a, like we, everyone has a little different opinion. And uh, so, so that's the, but really growth, we're adding a lot of import stuff. I, I'm actually, this is another great e-com conversation. I'm consciously driving my average order value down. Then that is a hundred percent on purpose my conversion is skyrocketing, right? So I, I'm I'm playing with average order value and everybody wants to say, add, 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 and make it higher. The problem with that theory is, is you start limiting your market if you're a premium product. I need to be into the masses, right? And so, you know, part, part of, you know, shout out to you. I haven't even connected with you. I've, I've got some ideas for Amazon and our partnership because the reality is you don't have the tools needed to perform for me on Amazon because I haven't given you a price point hat that you can go out and win. Again, you can't win with our current premium product line. So, um, but anyway, long story short, we'll get into that down the road. I, I got some ideas going into next summer. Um, so that's business. Um, I, 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 the, the last thing I'll say is we want to take the same tech stack that we've done direct to consumer and apply it to B2B. That's where that's our next like endeavor that we're starting. We're trying to launch that by January. Okay, that's like next level. Nobody's doing that, um, and and use everything from attentive to Clavio to Shopify, but only B two B driven and basically uh, set up the same funnels, the, the same interactions, uh, the same campaigns. Like it's all the same, and in so many ways, it's the same content. Right, price has changed. You got to buy more. But other than that, it's it's the same story. It's the same content. We just get to duplicate it if we had the same platforms running for B two B and 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 B two C. 
So that's a big one um, overall. And then trying to figure out the last one, of course, I got a million of them, but the last one would be trying to get our logistics to the center of the country. Um, you know, we're out in Monterey Bay and, and that's not exactly a shipping hub. If, if you don't know where that is, look on the map. We're not exactly centrally located and hats are dimensional. And so we're shipping dimensional product all the way across the country. No offense, it's kind of stupid. Uh, yeah. and, and I can raise my hand. We didn't know any better, but you know, we're going to spend, I don't know, 1.2 on, on shipping this year. And, yeah. you know, you start again, like conversion, you start talking about a point or two, it pays for itself pretty quick. So we're looking at places out in Dallas and uh, possibly Louisville or somewhere to get out by some, some shipping hubs. So that's on the table going into 2024. So, um, and then personally, uh, my wife and I are building a house in Puerto Rico. Uh, okay. for, for all you tax buffs out there, something called Act 60. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an accountant and I didn't sleep in a Holiday Inn, but I will tell you, if you're un, unaware or unfamiliar, look up Act 60 in Puerto Rico. Uh, but you should be sitting down because you might shit yourself. Um, it's it's impressive. It's it's almost unbelievable. And um, But you got to move. And if you're willing to move, like we are, my wife and I are moving to Puerto Rico and we're going to take advantage of the Act 16 and run corporate through Puerto Rico. We're really excited on that. Yeah, That's so smart. It's going to be a, a fun change. You've been in California a long time. You know, I think that'll be fun. I've got a lot of e-com guys in Puerto Rico. So you'll have to let me know when you make that move. Maybe I can make some intros, just, just some cool guys, um, families too, yeah. uh, that are out there, whether it's the softwares we're using or just a lot of Amazon guys. Um, you know, for the same reason, Act 60. So uh, I was there, I spoke on a cruise in February, an e-commerce cruise and Puerto Rico was one of the stops. Yeah. And so I got to spend the day kind of hanging out with all of them as a good time. Yeah. Um, but no, those are, those are some fun moves. And I, I, I would love to keep picking your brain on the marketing side, just to dig into some of this for, for our listeners, but we might have to do a part two here. Um, but a lot of what you share, there was just so much meat there. Like I have a fulfillment center here in, in Kansas City in the middle of the country for that exact reason. You know, you're getting everything in a completely different zone when it comes to um, shipping and where you're shipping them to and who's buying your hats, you know. So, uh, you know, Midwest, not saying that that's where everyone's buying them. But, you know, when you really understand where your customers are, like that's that's the difference in the game. And I want to be able to control that as we continue to build brands. Um, but all the way down to the AOV and conversion rate, um, you know, you have to be much better at selling a, a premium item when it comes to marketing. Uh, and, and they're pushing up the AOV on items commonly because they're using paid media to get those acquisitions. So they're, they're, they need the order to be 200 bucks if they're spending 50 to get the customer or for that kind of thinking, right? So if you're doing organic and you're doing SEO and you're winning on all these terms, well, conversion rate is going to go up if you have a, a lower price point hat as well. So I, I love that strategy and wanted to just add my two cents to that. Um, I got to run us out because we're up on the hour, but it has been awesome chatting with you, Garth. Um, I think you have uh, a lot more to share with uh, the Startup Hustle community. So I'm going to have to have you back. And I just want to talk about kind of what those three years have looked like for you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, perhaps of like, you know, where you guys started and what your focus was then and then kind of what it's evolved to. So maybe people can kind of take note. Um, as they're on their own journey. I think, you know, I go through this journey a lot with brands and manufacturers that are, that are attacking Amazon, but D2C, uh, B2B through Shopify, these are all um, 
you know, things I know of, but I'm less holding the hands. And I know that they're difficult in, in a lot of ways. And it's just a lot of tactics. Um, that's why I said it's the ultimate competition for me. I think it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, and to, to your point, you've become an internet marketer, not just a hat seller. Um, you could take a lot of these skills and, and do it for another company, do it for another company, do it for another company, because it's a lot of the same principles, right? It's just understanding exactly the stuff behind it. So um, it's been awesome having you on the show. Hustlers, thank you for tuning in to our sponsor, FullScale.io. Um, let FullScale help if you need to hire software engineers, testers, and leaders. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions, let the platform match you up with fully vetted, high-experienced team. At FullScale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. That's a mouthful, um, but I'm telling you to our listeners, DeGarth, if you guys check out FullScale.io, um, the system that they've built there, it's my mentor's company, uh, the system they've built there for their team and picking a team to join your team, uh, whether you're looking for developers or not, it's worth checking out the site. It's actually really, really cool, something they built custom-made. So uh, without them, we wouldn't have this free show. We wouldn't be able to get it out to everybody. We just hit 5 million downloads as a podcast. And yeah. so that IO has a lot to thank for that. Garth, thanks for sharing your knowledge with us and your story. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks, buddy. Love to come back, man. Keep up the All good right. work. Thank you, Hustlers. Later. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io. Helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.